1: everybody thanks so much for sharing your time with us we really do appreciate it i want to thank ken quiet hawk for his amazing intro you can find him and his wife on nativestorytellers.com it's an amazing website it deals with the native storytelling tradition and how they preserve their cosmology their history their antiquity in stories that have been passed down through generations perhaps a better way of preserving history than the history books like we use today that are really out of date. But that's for another time. Uh, We have Gary Wayne tonight on. I'm so excited about this interview, I can't tell you. He's the author of the Genesis 6 Conspiracy, How Secret Societies and the Descendants of Giants Plan to Enslave Humankind. He joins us tonight to enlighten us about the Watchers, who were they as it pertains to the Bible, polytheist accounts, and... It relates to the aliens in the new age at this at the end time. He is a Christian um, contrarian who has maintained a lifelong love affair with biblical fo- prophecy, history, and mythology. His extensive study has encompassed the Holy Bible and Gnostic scriptures, the Quran, and the Bag- Bag- uh, and the Gita. I can't, my tongue won't do that one. Um, Gilgamesh and the other ancient epics. Language and Etymology, and the Secret Society Publications. He's an amazing guest. He is so knowledgeable. It just, it, it just is amazing. And, and every time we have him on, not only do I have notes all over the place, but I want to make sure that I, I get his information out of him because he is such a, he's encyclopedic as far as his knowledge and his wisdom, and he is so generous in how he shares it. Um, I do have a lot of questions tonight, so let's welcome Gary to the show. Gary, I'm so glad you're here tonight.
2: Well, so happy to uh, be back again with you tonight, Barbara, and very much looking forward to the conversation, and uh, hopefully we'll shed some light on some areas, again, that people have some questions about.
1: Well, you know, the term watchers has been thrown around like crazy to the point that I don't think people really understand biblically speaking who the Watchers were, what their purpose was, how they messed up and why. So if we can cover yeah, that in two hours I'd be happy. And,
2: yeah, and there's so many different branches that were this sort of heads and you know, it's not just, you know, a term that is reserved for, you know, the book of Enoch. So As we Uh dive into this, I think people will be quite surprised at some of the commons dominators about from so many sources that have a similar kind of parallel directional narrative about both in prehistory and a lot even as we get towards the future.
1: Okay, so first of all, who were they now and and I, I wanna go I wanna do step back just a little bit because in the metaphysical community um, there seem to have been, I don't know, fads, crazes, whatever you want to call them, where people were light light workers or light bearers, or um, and and now a lot of the terminology that is being put out there is, "I am a direct descendant of the Watchers," which, um, I mean, who knows? You know, the the genealogies don't go quite far that far back but, but it's, it's, it's another one of those little catchphrases and, and people don't know who they were and, and what their purpose was so let's, let's go back to who were they
2: yeah and I'll just underscore what you're talking about in terms of people particularly today as we are you know, getting more information on genealogies and DNA and blood types that so many people are trying to find a way or have kept records throughout the millennia and generations of these genealogies this is a pretty common uh habit of particularly royal families of keeping those genealogies that also take their bloodlines back to uh the giants and their parents the the angels which are commonly known uh, in the book of enoch as watchers or those who you know watch and guard the throne and there was three of those groups of angels. There was the, as Enoch talks about them, the cherubim, which most people are familiar with, you know, the cherubim that are on the Ark of the Covenant and have these big wings that uh, cover and surround the throne of God. You have the uh, Ofanim, which isn't a word that shows up in the English translations of the Bible, but when you look at the throne that God is traveling on in Ezekiel, where you have wheels within wheels, and the cherubim are above the wheels or beside the wheels, but they're never really inside the the wheels. And the wheel goes back to the word "olam," and "I am" is the male plural. Just as you add that onto cherubim or seraphim or nephilim or whatever, and so what Enoch seems to be saying is is that this is a third set that is. Uh, almost like a subset of the cherubim because they have one face that's different in the four faces that they have, but they're also mixed in with this grouping of the wheels that apparently the throne of God comes into the physical world on and are around the throne. And then you have the seraphim watchers. So you got three groups and they're all called those who watch and those who guard in the book of Enoch. So as we take that back from where m- most people understand the term watchers those would be very high level orders of angels with the seraphim angels the fiery serpent angels um, as they're described in Isaiah 6 as you take seraphim back to Hebrew it is a fiery faced or fiery serpent faced angel that work that ministers amongst the fiery stones before the throne they have six wings and they're also commonly understood as kind of a dragon because a serpent with wings is known as a dragon as in let's say a plume serpent as in quetzalcoatl and other gods of central and south america and north america as as plumed or feathered serpent gods and or naga gods around the world so kind of a similar type of being that is in most cultures. And these are the watchers that are the ones who create the giants in the book of Enoch and are thought to be the same watchers that are in the Bible. And in the Bible, we don't get uh, many references to the term watchers, just three times in Daniel 4, where these angels dealing with government are coming from the throne of God and delivering messages of government. And they're thought to be the seraphim watchers, just as the sons of God in Genesis 6 are thought to be the seraphim watchers, as they're described in First Enoch, who are the ones who go to human females first, at least. Uh, and I think there is more incursions after that. But the ones who go to Mount Hermon, as it's recorded in Enoch, those are the watcher seraphim angels that produced the first set of giants.
1: Okay, so knowing that God is an etheric being, not necessarily of human form, are the angels etheric or they have taken on a human form or, or a physical form of some sort in order to communicate with the earthly creatures, right? I think
2: they can communicate... I think they can communicate with earthly creatures from a different dimension as a spirit being, and all beings in heaven are, are spirit beings. But if they want to interact with the world then, and, and be sort of seen as physical, then they have to take a physical form in the physical universe, and which again would be, I think, a different dimension than what the spirit realm or the heavenly realm is. And we get sort of a hint of that in Jude 1:6, where it says the you know these uh, angels that are describing the sins of the angels uh, in Genesis 6 before the flood for creating the giants, they left their habitation, and habitation goes back to a Greek word which means oikitarian, uh, or it doesn't mean it is the word oikitarian, and it means uh, a dwelling place for the spirit. Just as in second corinthians uh, two five it's uh, it's talking about uh, this place this house in heaven, which is also ochatarian that is where your spirit wants to uh, be part of so I think what it's talking about here is that you need also a dwelling place for a spirit in the physical universe to interact, and so they have to create this physical uh, nature and uh, and of choice, and I think of gender of choice, too. If you're going to create a complete physical nature in the physical world, you can choose what you want to, want to look like. I also think this is why demons, for example, as Jesus describes them, they are like thirsting for a body and they're in dry places uh, while they're trying to find a body to possess. And they want to possess that body so that they can actually interact with the world except that it's not a symbiotic relationship so it's very much a hostile takeover as opposed to um you know let's say an avatar effect which seems to be more of a, a symbiotic relationship that satan and other angels uh in other religions satan in the bible and and let's say you know gods like vishnu uh in in the indian religion would uh, avatar a body and would be more of a symbiotic relationship um but the point of the matter here is that Uh, They need to be able to interact. But once you take a physical body, then you become subject to the laws of the physical world and all of the temptations and all of the, the, I guess, feelings and desires and everything that affects humankind would affect an angelic being or a godlike being taking a physical form in the physical world. And I think we see that uh, portrayed in the depiction of these gods in so many accounts, whether they're demigods or actual gods or lower gods as opposed to parent gods, that they seem to have a lot of similar sort of weaknesses and and fallacies um, just like humankind's had or imperfections. And I want to underline this in terms of connecting a couple dots in terms of these watchers who would have taken this physical form to interact with the world. If you look at that word uh, watcher and you take that back into uh, Greek, you you go back to the word draconta, which translates to watch. And it's the same sort of idea that the seraphim watchers were watchers and were overseeing and governing this world, just as you get that same sort of term in other sort of mythos, like the alien mythos, which I'm sure we'll touch on in, in, in a while. And it is also understood that when you look at the nederu gods or the abdu gods or the sabedi gods of egypt that essentially all roots back to the same and they're the same gods just different names for the same parent gods over in egypt but that goes back to watch as the urshu gods are the watcher gods and so this is a common understanding in prehistory about these watchers whether or not you think they're gods, whether or not you think they're angels, whether or not you think they're aliens or, or whatnot, they have this common sort of name and this common sort of description, just as you get these archons and seraphim-like angels who are serpent-like that are part of the ruling class um, led by Iel- the Boath, which we would know in, in Christianity as Satan.
1: Now, what what confuses me is, well, are one of the attributes that they have in human form that they can take on any any size or dimension that they want to? And, in other words, sometimes they appear as giant. It seems so. It, so it, you know,
2: it, yes. it, it I
1: mean, sometimes yes, they, they seem. It, do that. Yeah. You know they seem in human um, dimension. And then other times they appear yeah. as giants, or and sometimes you don't yep. even see them at all. You just hear them.
2: Yeah. So, again, whether or not they take a, a physical form or a spiritual form in this world, they can come in either way. But seemingly, okay. and even in the Bible, I mean, we're, we're told that they're shining, giant shining beings. We, we're, we're told that they are, you know, six-winged and several different types of wings in the Uh, you know four wings and two winged angels you've got ones that are just look like men like in the sodom and gomorrah and abraham narratives there's ones that Uh look like men that they don't know their angels and there's ones where they do know their angels and signified some way or or another you've got uh, satan who is described as a serpent and a dragon also as a trubum so he's a little bit unique in terms of his uh descriptions but again different forms different shapes and Certainly we see in in accounts in a lot of uh, Gnostic religions and the Christian religion where Satan comes in different forms. Again, sort of showing that changeling uh, quality that these beings from another realm have.
1: Okay, so we're all watchers. Did all watchers become fallen angels or did some of them not fall?
2: I would say... Some of them rebelled. We don't know how many of the Watchers rebelled, and I would say Watchers from all groups would have rebelled. I would also say that there are many other Orders who also rebelled. That would be some of the lower Orders, and we don't know how many angels were actually created We get an indication in the New Testament where, you know, you get some accounts where it says they're uncountable, but in Revelation, it says 10,000 times 10,000, which is 100 million. And certainly by Revelation 12, a third of them would have uh, rebelled. So that means there would have been at least, whether or not they did all at once, but certainly by the midpoint of the last seven years of the end time, at least 33 million will have Uh, Rebelled, And who knows if that number is greater because of the other sort of descriptions of the numbers. So I would say that we had them rebel from all different orders. And just as we get different looking Nephilim described around the world as demigods by the many different names that they're known. So, you know, not only do you get gods that have sort of this raven sort of look like, like the Anunnaki have. Uh, Even though there's a lot of serpent gods and reptilian gods in the Sumerian pantheon, you also get these raven gods, and they're also known as Tengu in Southeast Asia. Uh, You you get these ones uh, that are all producing um, offspring as well as the serpent ones, just as you get serpent kings all around the world as the offspring of the serpent seraphim Nephilim. You also get an order of the Tengu, and, and typically they produce a warrior class of bird type being and a priest class, which again is similar to the serpent type of, uh, of offspring. Let's say like the uh, Nagas where they created a warrior ruling class and also the Brahmin class of priests uh, that ruled the you know, subcontinent of India. You also see offspring in Egypt of you know, gods like Horus and some of the bird-like Ogdo gods um, in Again, descriptions of these offspring of these beings. And you also get the Zibalba out of the Kishamaya, which are also offspring of the gods. And they're kind of like, uh, you know, pretty much a sort of owl or raven type look. And also uh, a minor sect of Zibalba. I think if I remember the name, the name is Comatotes or something. I'll have to think about that one. But that's where the Batman image comes from that, uh, um, you know, it's obviously got that sort of bird-like look. And then you've got all of these gods that have this sort of lion look. Um, and, you know, whether or not it is, um, you know, a god like Sektek in Egypt or many of the other lion-named gods that of Egypt uh, mythology, they also created offspring and. You know, we get all of these accounts of the lion-like men, even in the Bible of Moab and Gad and these lion warrior-type beings that are all throughout uh, Sumerian, um, you know, religions and legends as well. So I think there was many kinds that rebelled, and many of them had offspring. So when we get coming out of prehistory, all of these different types of beings— one wonders. And again, you also have like Anubis and dog or hyena or wolf-like gods that also tend to seem to have created offspring like them as well. In you know, the uh, uh and, and the dogmen mythos, as that sort of goes.
1: Well, originally, though, what was they weren't supposed to come into contact with us. They were just supposed to watch and, and
2: yeah, that decided... seems to be the case is that they were yeah that they were there to watch and that the and the earth was you know separated into uh, the number of nations according to the bible as the number of the sons of jacob born in egypt which is 70 so uh the descendants of adam as it says in the bible were divided amongst the watchers into uh you know 70 groups just as you have 70 Nations again, after the flood that we would presume that the angels that were place angels who didn't go to the abyss would be ruling over um, you know would be reassigned and replacing the ones that went to the abyss for their for their crimes before the flood and, and rule the world afterwards, all reporting to Satan in sort of that that hierarchy, but yeah, they would have ruled over those different realms or dominions of the earth and had a government. Governmental structure that would go down and split that up within those 70 different nations.
1: But that's after we don't the really
2: flood. get that told in prehistory. It's more like you know anywhere from four to nine uh, anti-Dulugan civilizations. But again, that could have been you know part of how that whole hierarchical structure was split amongst the gods.
1: But before the flood. That looks
2: before and after.
1: Oh, okay. So they they were, so they did come in contact with humanity.
2: Yes, and they were, and I think they were there just there to watch and and to help. But then they provide knowledge. They provide in you know so many of the accounts around the world, and in, East, uh, in in Enoch, you know, illicit knowledge, let alone agrarian knowledge, civilization knowledge, things like that. So they provide. Uh, Obviously, knowledge that they were seemingly granted to provide, but then at a point, they cross over and start providing illicit knowledge as what, you know, Azazel provides in First Enoch, um, the art of war and to make weapons. And he introduces war to uh, the antediluvian society, so, you know, knowledge can be good, but there's also evil knowledge and how you use that knowledge. So, And I think that's what happens at a certain point in time in the anti-Dulopian world, and I think we see a similar effect again after the flood, but not to the same degree.
1: Well, what confuses me is, I mean, I, I got the weapon part and the war part. I understand that, but makeup and adornment, I mean, I, I realize that that can lead to ego and stuff like that, but it doesn't have to. And and the same thing about um, charms, spells, and medicine. I mean, I understand charms and spells, maybe, but medicine? Um, and and then, of course, you know, knowledge. And and I, I, I don't understand. I understand that anything can become a sin, but it doesn't have to. And... Why were these things, why did these, like, like I understand the weapons, but, but makeup and adornment, um, knowledge, uh, medicine, you know, homeopathy there, they, they didn't have science, but they did have, they did have a knowledge of herbs and things like that and what can help you and make you feel better. Why was that a sin? I don't understand.
2: Well, not all of it was. It's how the information is used. It's neither good nor evil. It's how you apply it. So that's the big thing. Uh, Although when you do, that's why I sort of separated something like, you know, the military aspect where you're creating war strategy and weapons and, you know, the slaughter that comes um, around that. That's a whole different sort of, you know, idea. And it's, you know, perverted going in. But, you know, knowledge like medicine, is good, but also as we can see in today's world, and I think the anti world advanced beyond where we are today, based on the, I think the knowledge that these watchers provided and some of the. Um, things that we still see today that they built, which it would be a reflection of the high degree of knowledge, whether or not it's the pyramids or Machu Picchu or all of these antediluvian megalithic sites that we can't build today with that type of degree of accuracy, with that type of level of sacred geometry put in and celestial uh, alignment, all suggests that they had a technology uh, greater than what, you know, secular society would give them credit for. And just as, we're told in so many of these other different, they had flying machines and all sorts of different things. And I think that they actually have, you know, had a level of knowledge and technology beyond what we have today, but we're catching up so that we are moving into the days of Noah again, as we, as we move in towards the end time. So mm-hmm. when we understand that we can, do things with knowledge from our lens today, such as manipulate the DNA, for example. Then you can start to do that with a very good sense, or you can start to corrupt the antediluvian world, which is what I think they did. And so we have lots of instances, whether or not it's the chimera or centaurs and on and on and on of all of these fantastic beasts that are created in the antediluvian world, not recorded biblically, but recorded in other accounts around the world, and I think this comes a lot from the knowledge that they that they were developing. And when we look at that word corrupt in the Bible, that you know goes back to the word shakath, which means uh, to totally destroy, to decay, to change, and I think that what they did was they changed the DNA and Uh, genomes in the plant life and the dna in the animal life so much that the whole world came corrupt and it's not an allegory just the violence that was going on but i think also literally the whole world was corrupted just as what we're starting to do today and so Mm -hmm. again it's how that knowledge is is uh applied and you, know, you get the medical knowledge and, and there's nothing wrong with medical knowledge in terms of creating health, helping people to, to live longer, to cure diseases. But when you start to cross a threshold at a certain point where you are now starting to change the DNA, you are trying to create gods on earth, uh, creating clone beings, doing all sorts of different things that, are, you know, bound to lead to things that shouldn't be going on, then I think you're starting to use that knowledge of medicine even for, uh, for evil. And again, I think we see that hinted at in, in the living world, and we certainly see that we're starting to do a similar thing. And again, the technology and the knowledge that we're developing leads you to a level where you can destroy your world. And I think they were hitting that, same level of technology before the flood and that's why god comes along and in other accounts around the world it's multiple gods who are going to have this world wiped out because they're led into the apocalypse by the offspring of the of the watchers the giants around the world who are absolutely running a reign of tyranny of war and corruption of the world and that the flood is designed to let the world start anew and have a second chance.
1: Okay, so God sent the flood, and Noah got the animals together, his family. But what I don't understand is God is perfect. But some of the giants, the the, uh, children of the watchers and the humans, um, survived. How did he screw up?
2: Well, God doesn't screw up. Uh, first of all, uh, just to, in terms of the animals that go on the ark, they're sent to Noah. Noah doesn't gather yeah. them up, and God sends them there because I think he knows which ones aren't corrupted. And that's the animals and the representatives of the species that he wants to start the world anew, free of this corruption. It was a giant
1: Secondly, I would too. say.
2: God, yeah, secondly, I would say. Uh, God is Alpha Omega, and Mm -hmm. he sees everything from the beginning to the end, and even those who are going to be saved because their names are written in the book of life from before creation. And it's up to us through free choice to keep our names in that book or have them erased. And so God is letting everything play out in free choice, just as the angels were created immortal with intimate knowledge of God, they still had free choice to follow God or not. And as we've talked about previous, many of them rebelled. And they continued to rebel, and they tried were trying to bring down humankind and ensure that humankind would not be raised above angels in the future time by— trying to destroy humankind and or just lead them away from God and justify, I think, their rebellion at the same time. So in, even in Eden, you have Adam and Eve who still have free choice. They only have one law that they can't um, break, and that's to eat of the knowledge of, of good and evil. And once they break that law, they're ostracized from Eden and they're ostracized from the tree of life and so they don't die instantly but physically without access they're going to have a lifespan and that spirit uh is not going to be able to go back to heaven because there's a spirit soul and a body that's combined in in our in our being as the bible teaches unless there's a greater plan of course god is alpha Omega and he is going to allow everything to play out through free choice because he's greater than free choice and he sees what's going to happen when nobody else can see what happened. And so this is the first revenge of Satan. I think Genesis 6 is the second revenge by creating the Nephilim to do the same sort of thing. And that uh, God has the Messiah plan uh, to bring about through Adam's descendants as they he picks eight that are going to survive the flood and are going to bring about the Messiah. And the Messiah is going to bring about the resurrection, which permits um, the spirit to be able to go to, uh, to heaven and be with heaven and intermingle with God uh, just as we worship in spirit. Uh, Whereas before and after the fall in Eden, the the angels think they have at least got the upper hand and may have won on this. But if they had understood that God didn't tell them everything, they would not, as Corinthians talks about, permitted Jesus to be crucified if they knew about the resurrection. So moving back now to um, talking about the uh, angels and, and their offspring we have the impassioned angels, and this is before the flood, are going to be sent to the abyss. But as you mentioned, somehow angels either survive the flood or are recreated again after the flood. And again, you get a lot of accounts around the world where you have uh, giants, whether it's in the Epic of Gilgamesh with a Titian, who in his complete family, who are two-thirds God and one-third human, Nephilim, or Deucalion as the son of Prometheus, which is God or Nephilim, which would be the son uh, of a god as well by the same name, if that's the case. You have another Nephilim ark story uh, along with uh, Pura, who is his wife, and you also have human accounts like the Noah story in the Bible surviving the the flood. I think these are separate accounts. So either they survived the flood that way, which I don't quite agree with, but I don't rule out because we're not told with a smoking gun verse in the Bible how giants, survive the flood or show up after the flood. Uh, I think I, I, you know, my conclusion is that the giants are recreated again after the flood by other impassioned angels who weren't in the abyss, but would also be sent to the abyss for the same crime afterwards. And that's how they show up. And you get a distinction between the Nephilim, which are antediluvian and the raphaim which are post-diluvian. So there's a distinction there, and I think there's two different creations that are that are going on and two different violations in terms of how they flood. But yet God permits that, just as God permits the angels who didn't totally violate the laws of creation and are not totally evil. They weren't sent to the abyss. So we've got lots of fallen angels that are still out there and influencing the world, just as they would be ruling the 70 nations as they come out of the dispersion at Babel, as the sons of Noah, which total 70, uh, to rule those forming nations in the world, just as was done before the flood. And so this is all still being played out, and it's being permitted to play out so that the full numbers of the names written in the book, and as we would understand in Romans, the full numbers of the Gentiles after uh, uh, Jesus is resurrected are going to be fulfilled. And so there's a set time, and there's an ordained time for all of this to play out so that mercifully as many as possible will choose to uh, choose God, to choose Jesus, and to choose uh,
1: eternity. So are there now today watchers watching humanity?
2: Yeah, I would say uh, yes on both, on two two accounts. I think you've got loyal watchers. Like uh, I would probably consider, even though we understand Michael as an archangel, uh, these angels, uh, you know, that are around the throne, like the seven angels talked about in Revelation 8, are, mm-hmm. uh, you know, around the throne. And so I think Michael would be an archangel and likely a seraphim, Uh, Watcher so you have the loyal ones And then you have the rebellious ones And we have Both so we have uh, The loyal ones that are still helping And Michael is the one who fights for Israel Right he fights against the beast Empires um, just as we're uh, Told in in John where He's fighting Persia uh, Or in the book of Daniel I'm sorry Where he's fighting Persia and He's going to go next to fight Greece Which is the next beast empire Which is again part of this Uh, imagery that is uh, also told to us in Revelations and are going to be part of the end time when the restrainer is removed, which makes a good argument for Michael as being the restrainer, but whoever he is, um, he's going to be removed, and then we are going to have the end time, and it's God who dictates when the restrainer is, is removed and then you have the fallen angels that would also be seraphim watchers and a whole bunch of other orders that are still influencing the world and I still think guiding the world because they're still in charge of the world and still governing the world just as Satan as, and they all report to Satan in the hierarchy just as Satan is the god of this world for a little longer
1: okay so it seems to me as though we are being influenced by etheric beings, and and you know, do we not have control or choice over anything? I mean, it just feels as though we're being um, led around in in a in a in a massive game that we don't even understand what it is.
2: You're right. We uh, we we do have a choice, but we're not given. Sort of the rules and the information in an, an easy manner which is why I think for those who choose wisely and whether or not people choose or don't choose you've still made a choice but whoever chooses to follow God will be rewarded by being raised higher than these spiritual beings in, in the future time we're actually going to judge these angels for the sins that they've caused against us as the Bible describes and so I think that uh, the choice is, is, in this world that, that we're here to do is to figure out with little knowledge and to choose on faith as opposed to what happened in the angelic rebellion where they had all of the knowledge um, but still chose to um, rebel. So I think that's what's going on. And in the meantime, with that choice going on, you've got these spiritual beings that I call angels, others call aliens, others call gods, uh, are interacting with the world and leading us away from god and you also have as part of that you have the demigods who are the bodiless spirits or the demons of the original nephilim and you can make a good argument for raphaim as well after the flood that are working with the fallen angels and satan to lead humankind astray through contact through fear, through uh, developing knowledge to Uh, discredit God, because everything that's done with the knowledge isn't done to honor the God of the universe. What is done in this world for the knowledge that is taught is is to honor the pantheon of gods with uh, megaliths, with temples, with uh, 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 images, with idolatry, uh, and to discredit God for everything and not give him credit for anything, and to um, lead people away from God. So that's what the knowledge is, is, is seemingly designed to do. We see that with the, seven, you know, with the universities and the seven sciences today where all of that, what I've just said, is exactly what is going on. And anything that leads people away from God is a success for them. And so all of this is being influenced on us today by the demons, by the, the fallen angels, and by the descendants of the the giants who keep these genealogies that you were referring to earlier on in the show and track these genealogies all the way back. And they are working towards creating the new age and this age where humankind would be reduced to almost, you know, very few in number, just, you know, as what you see coming out of the Georgia Guidestones, which is a Rosicrucian group made up of pure bloods, at least from the 50 percent level and higher at the top level and uh, lower level ones at the bottom of the order where they only want 500 million people. So humans only are there to uh, serve this ruling class if they get their way uh, and to be used in rituals and, and not always for, uh, you know, positive health in, in these kinds of rituals. I won't go into those, you know, into the details on that, but uh, understand that they don't have humankind's interests at heart. So this is the ruling class that has come down through history, and that's why they keep track of those genealogies, because the purer those bloodlines are, the higher that pedigree that you can take back to the, the giants, the Nephilim, the Azura, the Daitria, the Meosi, the heroes, the Anunnaki of the earth— uh, around the world, and they're all known by different names around the world, but they're talking about the same group of demigods and giants. These are the individuals who created the royal families and the ruling class and the nobility, which would be the outer sort of circles of that family that became the ruling class. And basically, you know, the 1% that you hear of today um, would be what was going on back then, in terms of all being held by this ruling class. And this is the world that they want to create again going forward.
1: So if they had not fallen, if they had not decided to intermingle with humans, then there wouldn't have been a cause for the flood. What would have happened to humanity? Correct. I mean...
2: Well, if there wasn't, if, if they didn't choose to intervene, um, you know, certainly Satan then would not have, using, you know, through using the, the cash in Eden, the serpent in Eden, you wouldn't have had the fall. And so things would have happened probably a lot more quickly, a lot more easily, uh, and humankind would be in a different position where we are today. But unfortunately, through free choice, we created the longer scenario. The analogy is, is similar to what happened to Israel, where you have the Holy Covenant, and they have all of these, these blessings and promises, and including you know the Magianic blessing, and all they have to do is follow the covenant. But, of course, they continually rebel and violate the covenant, and so all is now being carried out not through the blessings of the covenant, But through the curses of the covenant, which are all outlined in in the Bible in terms of if you follow, this is what happens. If you don't, this is what happened. But also with a commitment that in the end time, he will remember his covenant and remember Israel and uh, bring them back into the fold under the Messiah in the end time. So it's all going to be played out. But you get these analogies of if there wasn't any interference, um, what would have happened? I just think it would have happened a lot quicker.
1: Okay, because it it seems to me that it wasn't all right, we were created by God, yes. But we didn't choose all of this. It was his dominions that chose to screw around with humanity.
2: Well, well, yes, they did choose that as part of their rebellion and to try and make sure humankind, you know, were not going to be raised above them in the future time. Having said that, whether or not it's Adam or Eve or any individual and in person after Adam and Eve, both before and after the flood, they had a choice to follow God or to follow the ways of the world and the ways of the world are the ways of the rebellious angels. Everybody's had that choice all throughout the generations and nobody's had a whole bunch more knowledge other, you know, with humans than Adam and Eve, but they still rebelled. Um, so, but we're, they were all given this information, and I'll agree with you, it's stingy, but we're all given the information, and we're all here to figure out why we're here and what makes sense and what doesn't make sense. And, you know, I respect people who, who might say, I, I go with the alien um, understanding of the world. I, I respect, you know, people who say, I'm going to go with the polytheist side. I don't agree with them. But at least they've analyzed to a certain degree, asked critical questions, and they've made their choice. But even if you don't choose, even if you just go through this world um, and saying all of this is BS, you've still made a choice. So uh, I would encourage people to really dig into this stuff and decide for yourself what you what you believe and what makes sense, um, because that's ultimately what we're here to do, and that's the free choice. Choose God. But we need- or choose oh, yeah. the other ways.
1: Wouldn't you think, though, that those watchers that have been thrown into the abyss until end times, wouldn't you think they've had enough time to sort of repent? I mean, it, it seems to me that they're going to be set loose to wreck ruin on, on humanity, and yet yeah. over, over the eons that they've been down there, wouldn't you think they would have had time to figure out that, you know, if they, they chose the wrong side, Initially, and that, that maybe they should, you know, choose the right side this time. If,
2: if they're permitted to repent, and the reason why I say that, uh, not, you know, and I don't even know whether or not some of them want to at this point or not. But what I do know is, is you know, in Matthew it talks about you know the abyss is reserved for these fallen angels, uh, or the not the abyss, the lake of fire is reserved for these fallen angels. Just as Satan is going to be sent to uh, the abyss first, like the angels that are already there and will be released in the end time. And then Satan also will go after the millennium to to the lake of fire where the angels of the abyss are sent. But what I do know is, is there is also information that we are provided that suggests that there is a point that you can cross where it's not going to be forgiven. And so I think that has something to do with the laws of creation and with the Holy Spirit, because we're told that the only thing that is not forgiven is blasphemies against the Holy Spirit, which is essentially is providing the life for everything that's in the physical world. And this is the life that uh, the fallen angels were manipulating, both through DNA and through creating these uh, hybrid beings, hybrid human angels, and all these other hybrid beings in the living world which we're starting to do on our own with our current technology and so if i now link the, the, those two concepts up about sinning against the holy spirit and about creating or violating the laws of creation as first enoch likes to talk about and this corruption that we're told about that corrupted the entire world which the holy spirit provides life for because the holy spirit is the spirit of god Um, then match that up with what happens in the end time with those who take the mark of the beast and or worship Satan and his fallen angels in the last three and a half years. Those ones of humans are not going to be provided the second death. So in Christianity, there's the first death. And then there's a resurrection for all of us, some into eternity and some to be judged that will go to the second death in the lake of fire, but not to be burned for eternity. But those who take the mark and worship Satan, it's both as it's qualified in the book of Revelation, will uh, burn like the other angels in the lake of fire forever. So that suggests to me that whatever happens with this mark of the beast, it violates the laws of creation somehow and sins against the Holy Spirit, probably by changing our DNA or molecular makeup somehow, some way, similar to what happened with the creation of the demigod Nephilim, uh, both before and after the flood.
1: Well, with with all of the um, fallen angels that, that became the... Um, the mythical heroes of old, you know, whether it's the Egyptian or the Norse or the um, Greek or the Roman, um, for the most part, they seemed, though they they had egos and they had battles and they did stupid things, they they seemed to be trying to help humanity.
2: Well, except most- that in all of those accounts. All of those gods and all of those accounts around the world brought on the flood to wipe out humankind.
1: Yes, Whereas in the Bible,
2: it's authorized by God. Yeah. And besides from that, yeah. I
0: mean, uh, and
2: <laughs> what they, you know, and, and and it's it's again you get this sort of similar sort of story where you have this this divine race that's created and they are godlike and do good in the beginning according to the around the world but at some point in time they start to become more narcissistic um, hubris um, corrupted by the world and begin to do evil things and continue to increase in that evilness the longer that they live and again it's thought that these demigods were you know given very long uh, life because they were created with the immortal spirit which is talked about in gnostic gospels Uh, as the counterfeit spirit and you get similar accounting in the book of enoch where this immortal spirit or the counterfeit spirit is passed on into a physical body where it doesn't belong and that's where you're mixing spirit of heaven and uh, flesh uh, as that violation against the law of heaven and that's why God steps in and gener- in Genesis 6-3 to limit all life on the earth to 120 years, human and or hybrid human angel, which are the demigods. And uh-huh. so, um, you know, I think, I think when you look at what these, uh, what these angels were doing was they were there just to, to lead humankind away from God and to try and use these Nephilim, these giants around the world as one of their chief tactical applications to usurp the kingships, what they did both before and after the flood, set up the Enochian mysticism, which is the same mysticism that shows up again after the flood and begins at Babel and is the source to all of the different polytheist religions around the world, and to make sure that they're being worshipped as opposed to uh, the God of the universe and that by doing so, they're leading people away from God. I think that's always the intent, and it's always uh, what is going on, that every time they offer information or something, there is something attached that you may not see, but it leads to your destruction.
1: But God sends prophets to try to thwart it. I mean, Jesus for one, but but there's also the Buddha. There, there have been other prophets. Um, Holy people that have been sent to sway humanity in the other direction. It, so it, it's almost like he's playing. Well, part that's of not the game quite true. That's,
2: yeah, that's that's not quite accurate not, as opposed to not quite true. What happens with whether or not, let's say, it's Buddha or uh-huh. uh, with Maitreya, that they say for the entire time or with confucius or with hermes or with all of these ones that are sent in that belief system these are individuals who are sent to help humanity on their way to development into god and that's why they draft jesus as a mortal prophet an enlightened individual who is doing the same thing as opposed to being the word of god prophets in the bible are there to uh, help Israel and to warn them and to provide them what is going to happen if they continue to violate the laws of the covenant. And those prophets do, you know, they disappear after uh, after not only, you know, when Assyria uh, is going to disperse Israel and then you have Babylon uh, who is going to disperse Israel. These prophets essentially disappear after that. Uh, and they get reestablished, and only in the time of Jesus does it, does it sort of reappear. So those prophets have not continued, and they won't come back in the end time, as we're told that there will be people who will be prophesying, there will be the two uh, witnesses, there will be the 144,000, but those did not continue, whereas in polytheism, you get this sort of steady stream of these enlightened people that are sent to help humankind is the guys and to provide more knowledge and to help them uh, and humanity as a whole find their way or the path to, to Godhead. So kind of two different concepts.
1: Okay. But it does still feel as though there's manipulation going on. And, you know, you do begin to wonder... You know, what is, the, what is the right direction to go? Yes, going to God. Got that. But, but in life, you know, the choices that you make are also representative of the direction and the choices that you've made. So it's almost like with the Egyptians, after death, your heart is weighed against a feather. You know, is, is that going to happen to humanity as a whole? That at end times, you know, we are going to be judged by our deeds and our philosophies and our, the way we have lived our lives as opposed to um, something else?
2: Well, all will be judged. Some will be permitted on to eternity and some not. Now, for people of faith, uh, they have their faith in God, the true God. And in Jesus, and they, by that resurrection, will be forgiven for the sins for their faith. For those who do not know about uh, the true God or Jesus, and and I, I would think in an intimate way, and I would think in an expanded way, although a lot of people will disagree with me on that, they will be evaluated based on what was in their heart. So what is in the spirit of, of what they're doing and will be judged against that. And so I don't believe, based on what Romans is talking about on this, the book of Romans, that just because people have not uh, heard about Jesus or were born uh, before Jesus came and people before the flood, um, just like Abraham, you know, is going to be saved. And, and that was before you know, Jesus came and and, and, had, and was crucified and resurrected, I think uh, there are some avenues for people who will actually, you know, be saved who aren't Christian. And I know that may not be popular amongst all Christians, but that's clearly what the book of Romans is talking about. And so I leave that judgment up to God, which God and Jesus are going to do. And, also leave up to their wisdom as to who will be permitted into eternity and who
1: isn't. Well, that makes sense. I I think I I find it fascinating that you are, um. You are calling aliens, um. Some of these some of these watchers, as opposed to, you know, if. if if they are alien if the, you're not saying they're from another um planet or or anything like that you're saying that they are watchers that have taken on different forms you know, every, you know the the, well, the, watchers. the um, no i i mean you know they they talk about the reptilians they talk about you know these other um races of beings that that are are alien are not terrestrial are you saying that the watchers are those the, are, are those beings
2: well i think they are and it's just a matter of how you're interpreting that set of individuals and so when we talk about extraterrestrials or beings from another planet that call themselves watchers and are watching as as the alien mythos goes uh, the development of humanity and trying to help us not to destroy ourselves and they're the ones that are credited with providing the same knowledge and technology as the gods or the fallen angels are in the various religions around the world it really is just a matter of how advanced these beings are in terms of your interpretation, what you want to call them. But I think they're the same beings. And uh, again, we know, as we talked about earlier in the show, that they can take any shape or form that they want. And so uh, I think they, you know, and when we look at a Seraphim angel, that's a reptilian being, right? And their offspring that they created look just like them. So when we look at, uh, the, the alien watchers, and it's also the Anunnaki that uh, most of the alien sort of watcher beings sort of go back to that we're hearing about at least in the West that are making you know, you know, the alleged contact with the governments, and I'm sure that that's going on, um, and advising them, and the same beings which are allegedly down in Antarctica, and again, I think that's probably true, but that's just my opinion, these are all the same beings. And so it's just a matter of, you know, how, how far up that ladder you want to create them, right? And, but I do believe that they are from uh, the spiritual realm and that they have significant powers and significant mo- knowledge and are still trying to manipulate and, and guide humankind. So it doesn't surprise me that they use the same type of names in terms of their classification. And it wouldn't surprise me that they would have similar names, some of these ones. And it wouldn't surprise me that uh, they would have other beings. Because, again, even though these are shapeshifters, there's so many different kinds, whether or not there's the the little gray alien ones or the reptilian ones that you're talking about. Um, And, you know, you sort of name or imagine the different varieties. And we get a hint of this in science fiction because I think all of this information is handed down to prepare us for uh, what they're going to show us in the end time of all these different types of species, allegedly, that are around the Earth. And again, uh-huh. I go back to what I said earlier. I mean, all of these beings that were created after the flood doesn't mean that it stopped. I mean, before the flood doesn't mean it was, you know, it stopped after the flood. And maybe they're not as visible and, you know, kept a little bit more outside the world. So we have a lesser degree of that influence as to what was going on before the flood or perhaps they survived uh, the flood, whether or not they're the little, you know, gray aliens as, as a fairy type creature out of the uh, uh, you know, out of the ugly ones and and mostly known as, as, uh, you know, gnomes and things like that, the ones who looked after technology and knowledge and had flying machines and come through fairy portals and things like that. And the reptilians, whether or not some of the cache survived, which is the serpent, or whether or not some um, offspring of the Nephilim survived as these reptilian-type creatures. You've got two different avenues there that somehow they survived, whether it's In the earth or off the earth Or however that comes about So I think we're either Going to see um, Those ones that either survived the flood Or recreated again after the flood As part of this whole Coming out of the alien um, uh, Welcoming committee To the galactic universe Of species to fight against Guess who? The evil oppressive god Of the bible And I think they're going to be saying if you want to live in a separate realm like Satan had uh, wanted to do as described in Isaiah 14, and then you're going to have to fight for this and earth is that sort of final battleground that if you want to live separate and away from the God of the Bible, you're going to have to fight for it. And that's going to come with, uh, you know, swearing allegiance to this rebellion in the end time and to take the mark of the beast. And to make a stand. And again, what we see coming from all of these forces uh, that are coming out of, you know, occult secret societies and things is they want to bring on the end time. They want this showdown. So again, yeah, we're still being manipulated by beings that seem to have done the same thing in the past as they've done all through history and as to what they're, they're coming is what they 're doing now with what they 're describing that they want to do, and I think they 're accelerating our knowledge uh, in the last uh, say thirty or forty years to bring us up to speed so that they 're ready for this showdown in the end time I think again it 's like the days of Noah, and again, you had this knowledge that is being given to the antediluvians in the generation of Jared or the sixth generation of the ten, according to the generations in the Bible of you know, of how many there were in the flood uh, that come out, you know, in the last uh, sort of uh, time frame of the Antediluvian epoch starting in the sixth generation. And I think that combines with the existing knowledge of the seven sciences and takes it to a whole new level, which is why you have such a r- r- rapid degradation of the world before the flood and will ultimately be the cause of the flood as overseen by the ruling class Which were the Nephilim back then
1: Wow Well it does make a great deal of sense I'm more comfortable with with The uh, <clears throat> the fact that, that There are other Life forms here that, that really have been here forever And it's not an invasion from Outer space that makes it A lot more comfortable for me actually um, So So Those those groupings um, will become more and more obvious as, as the end times comes closer and closer. Is that what, you know, you're indicating?
2: Yeah, I think so. Because until they're ready to provide the whole story, they need to sort of keep this image up. And the best way to explain these very powerful highly developed, highly knowledgeable, advanced peoples is to call them just like us, only they're aliens, and they've been around mm-hmm. longer, right? That's the easiest way to sell that concept. But at a certain well, point in time, I mean, they're, yeah. they're, they're going to ask us to do battle, and we see this battle coming up you know, you know in Daniel uh, and in, in Revelations where you have this war in heaven, right? And we're going to see this, going on and so there but also in in, you know if you have to understand that they want to sell to us that this opposing force uh, isn't an all-powerful god powerful yes but that doesn't mean that you can't beat them is what is the story that they're going to be selling
1: well when you get down to the i mean there is there is already war here on the planet that, that we're very aware of and it does feel as though um, it 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 feels as though it's escalating, and uh, it, it's gonna it's it's gonna be fascinating. I mean, end times is something that they've been predicting for a long time. So, are you saying yes. the end times are closer than we thought?
2: Am I saying the end time is is what? It's closer closer than, than we thought. You
1: know, yeah. I mean, my, my, feeling yeah, and, was and I, I certainly am not, Look, go you know,
2: ahead. I'm certainly not going to, you know, lay any dates on things because that's <laughs> no. a, a fatal mistake <laughs> to do. Uh, but I think, I think it's on the horizon and, you know, and people, you know, and even in my lifetime, you know, uh, people have been saying the end is now, the end is now. So, you know, we want to be very, very careful. You know, everything has to be in place before we can be in the end time. I think, It's very possible that we're in the fig tree generation. And I think there's a good possibility that that began either in 1947 to 48 when the nation state of Israel comes about or Jerusalem. And I would lean towards Jerusalem because, again, with the fig tree allegory, Jesus is the one who kills the fig tree in the New Testament and also uses the fig tree as his analogy that when you see the fig tree blooming again, that this generation will not pass until all of these things that I've given you for the signs of the end time and my coming uh, have, you know, been fulfilled. It'll all be fulfilled within that one generation. The question gets to be then, let's say, you know, we're using 1967 for Israel taking Jerusalem so that, you know, there's an opportunity to set up uh, sacrifice on the temple, which is, you know, a huge obstacle in itself. Um, Yeah. But if you look at that as the starting point in one generation, then how long is a generation? Is it 70 years as the psalm talks about? Or is it the 120 years uh, that is talked about in Genesis 6, 3? And if it's 70 years, well, then we're in a window here where, you know, it could happen in the next 20 years. If it's longer than that, well, like the 120 years, I mean, there's a lot more things yet to happen. And although I think we're marching towards a universal religion. Uh, You see the World Council of Churches. You see more dialogue. uh, You see a continual degradation of organized Christianity from within that I think is going to continue to go on, and so that until you get an environment where you can actually bring all of the religions together. Uh, But that's a big stumbling block. But if you do get that, then you'll get the permission of the Jewish people start their sacrifice on a wing or an extremity of the temple um you know extremity in the king james version wing is the definition of that or on the outside of the temple which is very difficult to see today with the uh muslims still holding on to the uh, the mosque in jerusalem so i think it takes that universal church and it, it takes that universal church and religion to bring about world government which again we're seeing that march towards world government but it has been elusive because until we're in the exact time it will not all come together and those last major pieces will come together very very quickly whether or not it's through catastrophes uh, through wars through contrived catastrophes Uh, it'll take i think that kind of catalyst to drive people into the globalist arms and into the globalist religion that they're preparing uh, to roll out, given the opportunity.
1: So, the Watchers were then the stimulus for a lot of this. You know, the beginning of it all. The, I,
2: I uh, in, in the beginning, yes. Yeah, I think, well, so, they were the leaders, right? And as you look at right. the hierarchy of angels, the seraphim are arguably at the top uh, or second from the top.
1: Okay, so they, they started it out with coming together with humans. And are, are there now, to, you know, I asked before if there were watchers watching today, but are there watchers in human form here today?
2: Well, I think so. I think there's angels, uh, fallen angels in all sorts of forms here today. And I think there's, um, fallen angels here in all sorts of forms. So fallen and loyal, they're, they're still interacting with the world.
1: Well, they don't have driver's licenses. So how does one identify one? Is it, is it?
2: Well, they would only, you would only know if they wanted you to know, um, but i think from a physical interaction uh they don't want us to know it. i because as again i think their you know their latitude was restricted significantly after the first flood um and i think they do interact in the world physically but i think they interact more from a spiritual basis and as what you would call spiritual guides or the celestial um, you know white brotherhood or you know the you know the elder masters and all the different names that there are for these individuals and or aliens um, that secret societies and, and much of the you know the elite at the occult level communicate with um, and you know self admittedly communicate with and also I think they're communicating with some demons there and I think that is sort of where uh, a significant amount of the leading is being done but I certainly would not. Uh, suggest that they couldn't be here uh, in in another form. And maybe they can't choose all the different forms again because they could be more restricted. But you know, when I look at um, descriptions of some of these beings after the flood that are in the Bible, like the satyrs, right? These are you know, double goat gods, right? These are Uh the same description as what you get for Azazel or the Pan God or Sunonos or the Cern God or Bacchus and on and on and on. about this sort of seemingly more than one God. It could be the same, but it seems to be a class of degraded gods. So I think when we look at Azazel also is depicted in that same sort of God class. I think these gods that may be on the earth are degraded from a seraphim status and perhaps other angelic status down to the satyr status after the flood for the rebellion and what happened to the antediluvian world. And when they did interact or do interact, they're in these sort of degraded forms from the former level of sort of, I guess, impressible. Impressionable um, physical stature that they would have taken before the flood. Just
1: my speculation. Well, yeah. um, Well, yeah, I'm not asking for, you know, written proof of all of this, but certainly your research is far more extensive than mine. But if there are the fallen watchers here, there have to be the unfalling ages. I don't know what to call them. just angels I guess and, and one of the terms I found for watchers were the, the awake ones in other words you know they had total understanding so with, with, with the watchers that are here on the planet at this time um, see my, my feeling is that there are watchers here there are people who are of an angelic nature here but they aren't necessarily sitting standing on platforms and preaching they are in in a more subtle form trying to um, impact humanity. That's just my feeling.
2: Yeah, uh, and and again, all all, all things are uh, possible. But uh, I will say this: certainly in Daniel, uh, we get an understanding that watchers are still interacting in the world, right? And that's in the time of Nebuchadnezzar when Daniel has you know the watchers coming down and, and, and visiting. And so, uh, and I think as we talked about, there are those rebellious watchers and not all of them went to the abyss. So I think they would be, you know, still interacting. So I would also enter into the discussion that uh, just as Satan masquerades or disguises him as an angel of light, so do his followers, which include, you know, the rebellious angels. And so everybody is trying to work from a position of light and a position of good the trouble is is that not all of them are truthful and that's for us to try and discern as difficult as that can be when they're projecting um you know this uh, projection of goodness and projection of love and and for the betterment of humankind you still have to discern you know whether or not they're following the God of the true God of the universe from a Christian perspective, or they're part of the rebellious ones, and you can discern that by asking them.
1: Well, that's easy. Um, so, what is the purpose for the Watchers in end times? Now, now you have the fallen ones, but you still you have Watchers that are that have not fallen. So. Will there be a separate battle in in heaven, or is it all going to take place here on earth?
2: Well, we're going to see it in the skies, I think. And uh, what you're going to see is uh, uh, the rebellious ones are going to try and overtake uh, heaven, but they're all going to be expelled, as what is described in Revelation 12, down to the earth at the three and a half your point of the last seven years, and so we're going to see that. So we're going to see that great battle, uh, and it will be perceived as one battle and that uh, they're going to need, because of that one battle where they're all down here, they're going to actually probably turn that into um, we're here to help you win this war against the oppressive ones. And so that is going to lead into Armageddon at the, you know, in the end time. So, yeah, I think we're going to see war in heaven and it's going to be sold to us as a sort of extraterrestrial battle just as in Star Wars. And again, Star Wars is a great analogy for what the end time is going to look like.
1: Is that, is that similar to um, what, what in the Indian world? The Indian, um, Their their Vimanas and, and, you know, their flying ships, is that a similar type of battle that was going on at that time?
2: I think so, and uh, I think they had weapons that were so powerful that could destroy the world. And that's one of the reasons why I'm very much open to the interpretation and understanding that you could... um, translate from hebrew you know genesis uh book one in particularly in genesis one to two that this is where the earth became void and formless as opposed to you know was created form and voidless and i got a great step-by-step document for people if they want to get a hold of me through my website i'll send that to you in terms of how you could translate that easily as we understand it in current doctrine or that the world became void and formless and i think That time frame before the earth is recreated, as Psalms 104.30 talks about, when God sends the Spirit, the earth is renewed. And in Genesis, you know, chapter 1, verse 2, we see the Spirit hovering over the earth. I think this is the renewal of the earth, my preferred, not doctrinal for me, but I think uh, you can make an absolutely awesome argument for the World being destroyed because of this angelic war, and is a better place for the timing of the angelic rebellion than, you know, immediately after the creation of the Earth and the creation of humankind, because there's such a short time frame there. And so I think when you look at that world, that might have been before. The first, uh, the second creation of Earth, and and before it's just the first one is destroyed in the angelic war with these fantastic weapons that we see in the Vedas and in other religions about that war. Um, Is you have these seraphim angels that we talked about, who are these serpent-faced angels uh, who are feathered and have these wings and are a flying dragon, a reptilian type of being, right? And You know, you don't imagine Quetzalcoatl and the feathered or plumed serpent. Now what we're learning is that dinosaurs had feathers. And, of course, they're reptilians. And dinosaurs, before that name was invented, say, about 300 years ago, rough and dirty, they were called dragons before because they're yeah. part of the same sort of understanding of, of those kind of beings. And that would have been, to me, a favored type of being for reptilian seraphim watchers in the first world. And again, you know, created giants. So, and, you know, sort of accounts for some of the aging that science is telling us about in terms of how old these creatures actually are. I'm fine if that's before or after, uh, you know, day six, but I just think the whole thing fits better um, with a previous earth that's destroyed in the rebellion. And then the earth is renewed and, and made afresh and humankind is created again this time with a destiny uh, to be raised above these rebellious angels through faith um, and in doing so convicts these rebellious angels and that's why satan right out of the gate is going to bring down the fall the downfall of adam and eve to try and prevent that from happening it just seems to me fits better again not doctrinal on that but I, I just think it uh, it just fits better.
1: Well, going by the premise that that um, the Earth has been here millions and millions of years, and that there have been startovers all over the place, at least five mass destruction, and 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 you know we're not even talking biblically; we're just talking scientifically here for the moment. Is this a pattern that? when we come to end times that once there is that massive destruction and then there's supposed to be a thousand years of peace. I, I, I understand that, but is this something that has been, that, that has happened before and will happen again?
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
2: as, as on earth or, you know, as in heaven, you know, as on earth, that's kind of that. Uh, hermetic sort of saying and or nothing new under the sun as we're told in, in in the bible and so what is going on with the end time is just kind of a repeat of the angelic rebellion what happened before the flood what happened at babel and a few more times as we go throughout history and even in the end time you're going to have antichrist in in the book of Daniel, try and raise his throne into heaven and be like God, just as uh, Hel-El, the Hebrew word that's used for the Italian word Lucifer in the King James Version Bible, um, tried to raise his throne uh, above not only the earth, but into heaven and above God to be worshipped like God, to have a realm like God in Isaiah 14. And so... Nothing new is under the sun. You see the same thing that was happening, I think, in the antediluvian world with the Nephilim um, monarchies and demigods that were ruling, is is they were actually, in the polytheist accounts, warring against the gods. And again, I think that's just from a Christian perspective, that's a a polytheist parallel story of, of rebelling against God and his loyal angels. And they were trying to raise their thrones uh, into heaven as well. And then again at Babel, you have Nimrod come along, building Babel City and Babel Tower and uh, having a sway like Antichrist uh, with a universal Babel-Babylon religion who is trying to raise his throne into heaven. And with the knowledge that they have found Uh, which is found by Hermes according to secret societies and Albert Mackey at a Freemasonry in particular, who had recorded, you know, a significant amount of the Polychronicon in in that book in terms of the, of the legends talks about Hermes finding the knowledge before the flood that was created by Enoch um, and is buried under uh, the pyramids uh, and brings that back to Babel and to Nimrod. And uh, they start with, with that knowledge is they uh, start to build the city, start to build the tower and re-implement the Enochian religion of the uh, anti-Diluvian world. And so, again, it's another analogy of, of what was going on in the uh the angelic rebellion just again as we'll see that with antichrist doing the same thing so yes it is the same thing being played out over and over and over on earth as what happened in heaven nothing is new under the sun and i think that's why we're told in matthew 24 uh, jesus clearly says it will be like the days of noah and we need to learn everything about what happened in the days of Noah understanding that noah lived 600 years before the flood and then 350 years after the flood which would have included babel and the recreation of the giants after the flood
1: so if we destroy the earth literally well no i i don't think we will blow it up but if the surface is wiped clean will this whole process start again
2: Well, we're not told that it would start again, but we're also not told biblically that that will happen. So except for Jesus stepping in to prevent it from happening, the destruction of the entire world, uh, it would be destroyed. But Jesus steps in and he shortens those days. Otherwise, everything would be destroyed. And in the end time, we get three different levels of destruction that are going to go on that come with the seal judgments with the trumpet judgments and with the bowl judgments and the bowl judgments happen in the last three and a half years the trumpets certainly within the first three and a half and i would look at most of the uh the of uh, the seal judgments early in the first half but could start before the last seven years as well uh and if you look at that you get 25 percent of the earth being destroyed Uh, And in in terms of numbers of people and within that series of destructions and judgments, you get Wormwood, which a lot of people think in the alien mythos is that planet Nibiru, which is bringing in these uh, Anunnaki uh, on a planet that's coming in somehow from a very long orbit again and back into, um, I guess, travel distance to get to us today. Um, I, I don't follow that line of thought, but that's part of the alien mythos that's sort of walking a parallel kind of dance to what's being talked about in revelation and then you have uh the trumpet judgments which destroys 33 percent of the population and everything on the earth and the bowl judgments would destroy everything um if jesus weren't to step in and come back and prevent that from happening and these judgments aren't sent from God and destroying the world. These judgments that are being permitted are done by the people of the earth and the people leading them in the end time. So it's all self-inflicted. This isn't, as a lot of people will teach, that God is throwing down these horrible judgments. These are all brought on and caused uh, by humankind. And this apocalypse is by fire, whereas the first one was by water and so when Luke talks about the days of Noah he will also talk about Sodom which I think is the location for the second incursion Um, and he links the days of Noah and the days of Sodom uh, to the end time whereas Mark and Matthew only use the days of Noah again that's not a contradiction that's additional information Luke is providing because Sodom is destroyed by fire And in the end time, the earth is destroyed by fire as opposed to before the flood. It's destroyed by the flood with water. So apocalypse by water, then apocalypse by fire. And The apocalypse by fire is all similar to the other accounts in other religions around the world. As we move into the next age, um, this earth is going to be destroyed by fire, which sort of goes back to what you were talking about earlier, Barbara, when there's been many disasters or earth destructions recorded in polytheism and you know the next one that's coming in that celestial procession uh is in as it's seemingly it's linked to celestial procession in, in in these religions uh which is the age of aquarius as we know that uh in uh the westernization of the polytheism, and. Uh, that too, as with all the other religions, it's a destruction by fire. Now, we don't know when in the age of Aquarius that's going to happen, because one of those ages is like 2,200 and some odd years. So, uh, it certainly didn't happen in 2012, like the uh, like the predictors <laughs> were saying. That was just the start of the age, right? So, it, it, there's, yeah. there's a wide area in there where that destruction by fire could come, is, I guess is my point.
1: <laughs> so, so, what did? Now I'm 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 going from the Old Testament to the New Testament. But what did Jesus have to say about this? I mean, he did. Did he talk of end times?
2: You're asking if Jesus talked about the end times.
1: Yeah.
2: Was that the question? Yeah, yeah, he does, and it because it's brought up by the disciples and it's one long sort of oration there's oration. There is, you know, a couple other references, like I mentioned earlier with the angels going to the, uh, to the lake of fire, but essentially, and there's a few parables with the separation of the tares and the weeds, but essentially you get most of that information in Matthew 24. And uh, Jesus lays out the chronology and the major events. And my advice for people is if they want to understand Revelation, you need to read Matthew twenty-four. Uh, Matthew or Mark's version is pretty much you know one hundred percent identical. Luke will add a few more details. So I would overlay that as additional information on the on the Matthew account, and that will match up as a terrific overlay over to Revelation. So you'll understand then that Jesus' oration there is linear, you know, from the beginning right through to the end, and he lays out the markers and the timing. And if you overlay that on to Revelation, you can better understand how those prophecies in Revelation are going to uh, lay out. It's my thought that you uh, put all prophecy around what Jesus said, not vice versa, because Jesus is the spirit of prophecy and the author of everything written in the Bible. So go to the authority first, and it'll lay it all out. You know, you have two halves, two tribulations. It tells you when the major events are going to happen. Um, and lay that down, and particularly picking up on one significant thing that uh, Jesus says is that it's like birth pains um, for the end time. And so as you get closer to the end time, the pains get stronger and, and, and shorter in um, coming, just as what happens with end time events. So whether or not you have a disaster of war or hurricanes or whatever, they're going to increase and come more often. And you also apply that in terms of my approach to, to prophecy is to the seal judgments, uh, the trumpet judgments, and the bull wrath judgments. And, and again, because if you, if you apply the birth pang metaphor that's described in the Old Testament and all of the allegories are described in the Bible, you just got to go back and find the meaning uh, and then overlay that on the prophecy, you know, you'll get a clear understanding of Revelation being linear. And then you'll be able to match up all the other prophecies by matching that chronology up so it makes just understanding prophecy so much easier because it's a big subject i mean over a third of the book is of the bible is prophecy and trying to make sense of all the different prophets and their end time prophecies and trying to sort which ones were happening during the time of the prophet or shortly thereafter and an end time prophecy you have to understand what the markers are and how that lines up with what jesus said He, he he's the key to understanding all of that
1: well, I mean <clears throat> I mean, end times have been prophesied since the beginning of time. I mean, you know, the end is coming that the man on um, at Times Square has had that billboard on his chest for my entire lifetime saying the end is coming and and the end is coming. It's a matter of yep. when. Um when. so yep.
2: we just don't and he, we don't know when. And that's why we always have to be careful. <laughs> and, and 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 a good analogy is that I mean, look how long Israel anticipated and and then Judah, because the northern kingdom was lost into the nations of the earth until the end time, were anticipating when and who their Messiah would be. And they waited seemingly forever, and they were anticipating him so hard that they didn't recognize him when he came. And he he didn't come in the way that they wanted him to come. That's analogous for the end time.
1: Yeah, they wanted a warrior with an army, and they got a peacemaker.
2: Yeah, yeah. But that's because they only were looking at the prophecies that they had from the lens that they wanted to see him in as opposed to all of the prophecies. And had they looked at all of the prophecies about him, they would have said, wait a minute, there's another half here. How does that play in? And I would, when I talk to people about prophecy, I try and make that point is that you need to include all of the prophecies uh, on a particular subject, and they all have to fit. You can't just take the ones that fit your contrived or preconceived Conclusion, you need to put them all together and lay that down in the chronology alongside with what Jesus said and then let it tell its story. If you do that, I think you're going to be fine. And what you won't do is get caught up um, falsely predicting when the rapture is going to happen, like we had with that, uh, you know, astrology sign of the red dragon uh, in in the sky with uh, you know, an astronomical alignment, which is really an astrology um, uh, interpretation for the sign yeah. of Revelation 12. And somehow the sign of Revelation 12 a couple of years ago was going to be when the rapture happens. And it's like, you know, I'm telling everybody, no, no, <laughs> don't get trapped that way because A, astrology would never be used. And secondly, you just can't jump to... The midpoint of the last seven years, without having all these other things come together and happen first, you just you just can't get there. And Revelation twelve isn't the rapture sign; that is the Exodus sign for Judah and lost Israel. That's got nothing to do with the rapture. So, <laughs> you have to be careful. Not that I don't think that Jesus doesn't come at about the same time for rapture and then second Exodus and then for Armageddon and what Luke calls the days of jesus is coming that people are going to wish for um but understand that there are two there are different events of the end time and that we got to have world government and we have to have a universal religion and you have to have the sacrifice going on on a wing of the temple for the first three and a half years before you can get to revelation 12 which is oh, the okay, war yeah. in heaven and yeah. the abomination when judah flees to the wilderness right
1: yeah, you've, you've, you've used the term twice now that I, I really want to, I keep saying, ask him about that when he takes a breath. Um, you're talking a sacrifice. And, I, you know, when you go back to Judaism, you know, it was a goat or a, you know, a, a lamb or, you know, a, a dove or a chicken or whatever. Um, what kind of sacrifice are you talking about? Because, of course, the one that comes to mind is human sacrifice And I can't believe that a human sacrifice would be used. So what kind of sacrifice is is indicated?
2: Well, so what they'll they'll, they'll do several kinds. None of them will be human. Um, At least I would would hope not. But sticking to um, Judaic law and to, to the holy feasts of the covenant, uh, they would do sacrifices and many different sacrifices on different feast days, whether it's the Day of Atonement or uh, Passover or the Feast of Trumpets and, and all the various feasts and Sabbaths throughout the year. Those are typically either atonement sac- uh, sacrifices for atoning sin and for um, you know, other things in terms of the worship of God, but typically they're going to be goats, lambs, uh, and sometimes some bulls.
1: You know that I I understand sacrifice, but when it comes to a blood sacrifice, um. You know, it's just me. I'm i you know I I could sacrifice candy, or I could sacrifice. Um,
0: yeah. yeah. Money
1: or wealth or, or or, veg. You know I I could become a vegetarian. I mean, is does the term sacrifice in that? In that context Infer it has to be a blood sacrifice
2: uh, For certain things it has to be A blood sacrifice and I think You know I think Daniel is, is You know is very clear that You know the sacrifices that were going on In the temple before is what Is going to be happening in the first uh, Three and a half years so It's going to be a blood sacrifice uh, I think and uh, you know just throw in something interesting because we're we're talking about um, the Watchers tonight, is that there are two goats on the Day of Atonement uh, that are sacrificed. Um, And the second goat is the one that is sent into the wilderness to die. And this is called the scapegoat. And scapegoat, which is in the King James Version Bible, goes back to the Hebrew Azazel. Now what's interesting about that is that we talked earlier that Azazel was the leader of the Watchers who reported directly to uh, Satan, and he's the one who's called the host of the Watchers that goes to the abyss along with his followers uh, for creating uh, the giants before the flood and the other sins that they did. And also in First Enoch, he is described as the one who is ascribed all sin, For providing the type of knowledge or leading the watchers to uh, give the knowledge and certainly in Enoch it talks about other angels providing knowledge but he's the one who is ascribed all sin um, and that is a scapegoat and so that scapegoat that is called Azazel I do not believe is coincidental and I think what they're sacrificing on the Day of Atonement is that special sacrifice for the sins of Azazel in the antediluvian world. Uh, who knows? We may even see that part of the sacrifice um, in the first three and a half years. And it may be described as Azazel in the first three and a half years because that's the Hebrew word for scapegoat. And what's interesting about that is Azazel, I think, is a badden and a polyon. Uh, who is in the abyss, and he's the king of the abyss. And uh, I think this is the one who comes out of the abyss and is the one who overthrows the uh, two witnesses and kills them temporarily, and then they're resurrected at the midpoint of the last seven years. And he is also the one that's described in relationship with Antichrist, who is called son of perdition, because Antichrist is the one who once was, now is not, but will be again, and is the eighth king of, of the seventh as he takes over this the end time empire at the three and a half year point crowned by the abomination in the abyss in the temple, which we've talked about previous a few minutes ago. And he is the one that comes up out of the abyss, which is a bad Napoleon that I'm asserting is Azazel. Now how where that starts to connect is that perdition goes back to a set of Greek words that includes Apollyon. Uh, And Apollyon means destroyer, as does Abaddon in Hebrew. And so I think Azazel, Abaddon, Apollyon is the one who avatars uh, Antichrist um, and gives him the additional power in the end time to do the great miracles and things that uh, he does to convince the world that he's, he's messiah and that happens after he receives the fatal head wound in um, revelation 13 and he falsifies the resurrection just as he will have a uh, counterfeit armageddon to bring in peace on that he's crowned on uh in in the temple of jerusalem at the three and a half year point he's also the one who negotiates the last seven years, but these are two different stories that I'm talking about in terms of uh, his ascent and when he's crowned and when he's avatared uh, by uh, Azazel of Baden. And, and I take my biblical application for that avatar effect is because Satan enters Judas to help him over the hump to, pray, to uh, betray Jesus, just as I think Satan also enters into the Nakash in Eden to deceive Eden, um, and he isn't the actual one because Satan doesn't lose his arms and legs and wings and his voice and his intelligence and doesn't crawl on the ground. It's the Nakash being that does. So there's a, there's a biblical case in terms of connecting how a uh, Abaddon, Apollyon, Azazel is the one who comes up to the Abyss and is, is the Antichrist. And now, if I take that back to the Old Testament, the god of fortresses that Antichrist will honor as he's rising to power and fighting his battles goes back to the Hebrew word maus, which is rooted in a whole series of words again that includes a word az, 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 which means fortresses, strong, mighty, powerful. And you put el on az, and that goes back to azazel. And... That is also part of a set of uh, root words that goes back meaning to goat and goes back to the scapegoat that's used in the Day of Atonement that I talked about, where you get the actual word azazel. So those whole series of words sort of come in and emanate and flow together and to come out of it for, to get a greater meaning. And we also understand it is Antichrist who is going to destroy Babylon in Revelation 17. So after the midpoint of the last seven years, he sets up his own religion. And I think this is the God of forces that he's going to honor. And when you look at Jeremiah 51, you have this destroyer that is going to destroy Babylon. And you take that word back to destroyer in verses, I think, 47 to 51 in chapter 51, and that word destroy goes back to the word um, abad and is is the root word for abad. So I think all of the meanings of the Hebrew and the Greek words, as you take that back to the original language, gives you a fuller meaning. And that is Zazel, the scapegoat and the sacrifice that probably will be made on uh, a wing of the temple is the God that is going to, I think, possess or avatar Antichrist in the end time after he receives the fatal head wound. I know that was a bit of an impassioned grant, but I just thought, you know, uh, we're talking about watchers. Let's talk a little bit more about Azazel.
1: So, so he could be the sacrifice, but you can't kill a, an angel.
2: Oh, you know, you're not going to sacrifice him. They'll be sacrificing to him as part of that pantheon of gods.
1: I, you know, I, right, so. I, I hear what you're saying. It's just hard to grasp that in these days, a sacrifice of an animal will be enough to appease God or to set things in motion.
2: Well, not, not to appease God. I mean, that's got nothing, I
1: mean... Well, to fill the prophecy.
2: Yeah, but you're confused? Yes, um, but don't conflate two different issues here. So, I mean, they still do uh, a sacrifice of... Uh, they'll, I guess they don't really do it today, but they will in the last three and a half years to do that sacrifice on the Day of Atonement.
0: And Azazel
2: is that second goat that they used to do... Um, Back when they're still in in the land of the covenant, I think that comes back uh-huh. in the end time. But maybe I wasn't as clear as a separation on this. I think when Antichrist comes to power, they'll be doing sacrifices to Azazel. That's separate from what I was talking about with what the people of Israel will be doing in the first three and a half years. And gotcha. Antichrist comes to full power at the midpoint of. Uh, of the last seven years so after Judah has fled the temple and the land of the covenant um, then a different sacrifice comes in that will be sacrificed sacrifices made in honor of Azazel
1: I you know I, I what you're saying I understand I'm having trouble grasping it but I understand what you're saying um, it, oh, it, uh, it's that's what in it-
2: you know prophecy sometimes difficult to say is all of that true right because it's talking about things that you just like how does that relate in our world or when they're talking about some of these creatures in revelation 9 uh, that are going to be in this war right it's like
1: yeah
2: that doesn't make any sense but i would also suggest two things when it when you get into like like when you get into what's going to happen in in time things are going to change so quickly and so fast. Um, We just want to be careful we're not caught off guard by how amazed that we are at some of the awful things that we're going to be seeing because even the elect are going to be deceived if that were possible and caught off guard. And I also look at the advancement of technology going down a different angle of trying to understand and believe that these things likely are going to happen is as we're doing all of this DNA manipulation and technological advancement and marrying up into AI intelligence of things, I could imagine a biological weapon um, that is part animal, part whatever, uh, AI uh, military weapon that it could be created to fight wars in the not too distant future, which could be describing what we're seeing. Uh, In the Revelation 9 war, that's $200 And I also think that's the fake Armageddon, by the way. That's not Armageddon. That's the one that Antichrist is going to rise to power on as taking credit for defeating uh, this great army, and then will say, I am going to uh, bring in peace, uh, just as what Jesus does at Armageddon. So it has to be this war that everybody thinks is Armageddon. So it has to be, you know... um, of such a significant level. And this is 200 million people. And that relates to uh, the Revelation 9 war relates to the same type of descriptions of a war in Joel 1 and 2, which is not the Armageddon war. The Armageddon war in Joel comes in verses 3 and 4. So this happens before, and those creatures are eerily identical. And the other war that we're told about in the Old Testament, which is the Gog War, Um, which is such an interesting name, uh, Gog and Magog and this alliance of nations that are going to invade Israel, um, somewhere towards the three-and-a-half-year point is the one that I think Antichrist takes credit for, uh, for as he's rising to power and part of uh, whatever part of the empire of the world that he's part of, and I think probably Europe— um, is going to defend israel because that 's part of that daniel nine hundred twenty seven peace treaty covenant where he guarantees in negotiating that covenant for the universal religion who sponsors it israel 's peace and safety, and that he 's obligated to stop these nations from destroying Israel from the face of the earth, so whether or not he 's the one who saves it i don 't think so because Clearly in the Bible, it says God steps in and fights for, for his people uh, in that day. And we know the Gog War is an end-time war because it says so. It's a last-day war in Ezekiel 38, uh, and in Ezekiel 39, which is the second part to that war, same, same war, just more details of the prophecy, is talking about second exodus, which I also place um, uh, in the last seven years, and it, the war happens before second exodus. And I also look at that word Gog. Gog is a name of a giant in Greek mythology, uh, who (laughs) is the uh, son of Iapetus, as is Magog, which is the other name, and some other giant names that they created as well. And I wonder whether or not these are part of the either – demon spirits of the Nephilim, or angels named Gog, that they named their offspring after, possibly, uh, that are leading this war as well. So I think there's a double entendre of meanings going on as to the nations and as to who's actually leading them, because I don't believe Gog and Magog names are there you know, just as a coincidental name.
1: No, I agree with you. And, you know, it, it feels like, too, that the, the giants are coming back. So that'll be interesting.
2: Well, I, I, I would not, I would, as I write in my book, uh, you know, you, I wouldn't take that out of the picture by uh, any stretch of the imagination because it's going to be like the days of Noah. I think yeah. there's going to be two avenues to that. I think you have the descendants of the giants who are the ruling power and the royal families. And I also think there's a good possibility that we're going to either have bodies created through cloning, robots, whatever you want to call it for, that are going to house as a dwelling place, an oiketarian for these demon spirits, so that they can interact in this world, and that's part of how knowledge can be misused, or there's going to be another recreation of giants, either through DNA manipulation or, again, physical copulation. And I think we get a hint of that in Daniel 2.43, because in Daniel 2.43, you have uh, the description of these metallic empires that are part of the allegories to describing the empire's past and the end-time empire, just as described in Revelation 13 and 17. They're the same empires, including the end-time empire. And out of these metallic empires and or beast empires, you have this strange verse in Daniel 2.43 in the King James Version Bible, where it says the descendants out of these metallic empires are going to mix their seed with humans. And that is a very strange uh, thing to say. And when you take that back to Hebrew, you find out that, you know, again, that's sort of adding up and defining that, that there's two different sort of beings or species. And so that I think when you have the 10 toes that's described in that prophecy um, on two different legs, you have two different entities. You have probably either diluted bloodlines and or human um, strongmen and some kind of physical Uh, Nephilim or descendant of the Nephilim that are intermixing their seed with humankind and and I think that is even though I think the bloodlines are going to be part of the ruling class and part of of the nation I think there's going to be likely some sort of re emergence of real Nephilim that are part of the leaders of the end time empire just seems to me makes more sense
1: Yeah, it does to me too, and our clock is is clicking down like crazy here. Um, I do want to remind people that the name of your book is um, Genesis 6, and it is an amazing book. I have actually read it twice, and and it's worth two or three readings because you can never get it all at the same time. Um, Are there any other websites or whatever that you want to get out there before the uh, blog talk shuts me down?
2: Sure. Uh, if you know if, if you want if some information on giants um, or the Andrew Lubin Epoch, get a hold of me through my website genesis6conspiracy.com with the number six. Uh, just give me the general area that you're talking about. I've got lots of documents I can send that to you. Uh, you can also get a hold of my book through that website and link over to Barnes & Noble or Amazon or Kindle if you're interested in that version, and you also get a signed copy from me. You can get a hold of me through that website because there's an email there. You can ta- you contact me through Facebook under Gary Wayne, and if you ask me a question either way or ask for a document, I will get back to you, and you can do the same on Twitter under at Gary GaryWayne63, at GaryWayne63, and I I put out a very interesting, I think, commentary about every week to week and a half. I put out one on the 70 gods, if you're interested in that one uh, uh, last week. I put out one on uh, the serpent imagery and gods, a two-part series on that, and their uh, offspring, the, the the giant Nephilim that looked just like them uh, uh, in the weeks before that. So if you're wanting anything on giant war or anything like that, get a hold of me. I probably have a document on it, and I will send it to you.
1: Fantastic. I want to thank you so much again for an evening that I will have to listen to the archive on over and over again, too. Um, I so appreciate your coming back and sharing your wisdom with us, and um, hopefully I I can get you back yet again.
2: I would uh, love to come back and uh, I can't believe how two hours flew by this quickly, but, uh, you know, we covered a lot of ground and hopefully we answered a few questions and I'm sure it just raised more questions, but uh, that's why we need to talk about this so that people have a better understanding as to what happened, because I think it's important to understanding what's going to happen.
1: Absolutely. So thank you again. Um, Thank you everybody for listening. I so totally appreciate it. This will be up in archive. If you enjoy it, please subscribe. Good night now.